Hello, and thank you for tuning in to our bonus episode of the Sports Desk Podcast. We really appreciate you guys tuning in. Just as a reminder, what you'll hear today is actually the second part of an episode that we posted yesterday. And so if you haven't listened to that, go ahead and go back and listen to it. Jacob and I had a great conversation recording the show for yesterday, and we ended up having a little bit too much content. We got too much into basketball, which is kind of very characteristic of Jacob and me when we get talking. So if you haven't listened to the episode from yesterday, go ahead and listen to that. This is the middle section of the conversation that we had, so we kind of had to pull it out from the middle of a conversation rather than just cutting it in half. So uh, we kind of jump right into the middle of our conversation, but we really appreciate you guys tuning in to the second half of our conversation and into this bonus episode. We really appreciate it, and we're really excited about basketball, so that's kind of why we're we're making sure we bring you all this content um, gearing up for the basketball season. So we really appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoy the conversation that Jacob and I had about the upcoming basketball season as we took a deeper dive and looked at the schedule and expectations for this year. So we really hope you enjoy it. And with that, let's jump right into the conversation that I had with Jacob Nielsen, the editor here at The Statesman, about our basketball team and the basketball season. After the recording with Jacob, uh, we'll be back and we'll go over some some things at the at the end of the show. But let's jump right into the conversation that I had with Jacob. And as we do that, I do just want to remind you guys about the mic issues that we were having. It was all the same conversation, so the mic issues that we were having in yesterday's show are probably going to reappear in today's show in that recording. So bear with us again. We tried to pull as much of that out during post-production as we could uh, to make that a smooth experience for you guys, but I do apologize about that. So if you had issues with it yesterday, um, it's it's that same recording, same conversation. So hopefully it's it's not too bad, uh, but we were having issues with the mic. So with that warning, I just want to thank you guys again for tuning in. And here we go into the recording of the conversation I had with Jacob Nielsen. I do want to talk about basketball first, and let's let's kind of focus on that because we are so close to basketball and we might not have very many opportunities to talk about basketball if football continues to win because we'll be talking about conference championships and bowl games. So I really want to talk about basketball while I have the chance, while we have the chance. And there's a few things I want to go over with you. So, so first off, let me, let me just get your real quick um, feedback or real, real quick thoughts on that exhibition game. Um, I didn't go into it even too much on my, my Monday morning show just because I don't want to read too much into it. It is an exhibition game, but what was just your uh, your SparkNotes version of what kind of how, how are you feeling after seeing that? Yeah, I mean you can't read too much into an exhibition game against a NAIA team. Utah State defeated yeah. Montana Western eighty-one to fifty-one last week. Um, the takeaways defensively wasn't very impressed with how they played. They it's going to be really different this year. Like their perimeter defense. They're not getting bailed out by Nini, right? So they really got to lock it down. I didn't, we didn't really see that that much. Like we saw kind of an inferior team miss a lot of shots, but it didn't seem like Utah State was imposing their will as much as I would have liked. They did force several turnovers, so yeah. I'll, I'll give them that. And they won by like 20, so. Yeah, they won, they won by 30. Yeah, sure. They certainly took care of business. Um, and the defense, that's something that has to mesh together and it'll come. So that that would be my one concern. That and the the three point shooting wasn't great. Yeah. But overall, the biggest takeaway was it was just really fun to see some of our new players. Right. Uh, the guy that impressed me the most was R.J. Elrock. Mm-hmm. Um, just his physicality and his speed, like he's just he's a really big body, but he can get he can get into the lane similar to Marco Anthony, but I think he's stronger than Marco Anthony. And so just his speed and ability to finish at the rim that he showed us a little bit 
that really excites me because I think he's somebody that can do that against top-tier talent. So yeah. RJ Rock, it was fun to see Horvath out there and being – when you're playing – when the, the tallest dude on Montana Western was 6'7", right. you can't really take too seriously what Horvath did. He did play really well. He was 6 of 11 from the field, and he had 14 points, but he was – four inches taller than everybody so So that's true to an extent i agree with you that you can't read in too much into his performance under the basket but on the other hand when you have him still bringing the ball up (laughs) that's something that i think we can look at and that's still impressive yeah because he did bring the ball up like not just like a handful of times like pretty often like he would end up with the ball and just dribble it up and he could pretty impressively move the ball so yeah, he said he said he was a point guard all growing up, and then he hit a growth spurt his junior year of high school, and just all of a sudden he's a tree. But also to your point, he wasn't a mismatch defensively guarding a six seven guy. He was able to shut down his defender just fine. And Shimon Zapala did not play very much in this game because he would be a mismatch because he's seven feet tall and a true big guy that can't really move against a smaller dude. So. Yeah, the switchability of the team looked really good, and and to your point, the the aggression wasn't necessarily there on offense or defense. I think that was probably intentional. I think that's a game that you just kind of not go through the motions, but I think it was more of a figure stuff out game. You're not out there um, running your horses as hard as they can go. So I think that was um, part of what we were seeing there. Is I don't think they were trying to run the score up. I think they were uh, trying different looks and things like that. Um, but I was really impressed with the newcomers as well, particularly. Um, well, I want to talk about the UMBC guys. They came in. A lot of people, I think, are selling them short because they're coming from a smaller program. They are going to be – they're going to fit in just fine in the Mountain West. Um, honestly, my two biggest takeaways were um, not even in the game just because we – I don't want to read too much into this game and there's going to be so much we can get from. But I want to, I want to talk about two things that I noticed that were completely unrelated to the game. I talked about one already. Um, in Rylan Jones and his excitement to be here playing in the spectrum. When they called his name, I don't know if you noticed this, Jacob, but when they called his name in the starting lineup and he ran out, he looked up and, and looked at his looked at the big screen, which players usually don't do. They try not to. They you know, they try not to get distracted. Mm-hmm. He went out there, looked straight up at the big screen, and the biggest smile came across his face. He is so excited to be back in Logan. His face lit up. I've never seen something quite like it. He looked like a little kid getting a getting a chance to go play with the big boys, and he's earned it, right? Like he he's completely belongs there. But it was just so fun to see his genuine reaction to finally being back in the spectrum where he's watched so many games. The other thing that was kind of kind of along those same lines I noticed was Brock Miller, who's now a leader on this team, been here. Um, one of the guys who's been here the longest, along with Justin Bean. After the game, uh, the whole team was kind of standing aimlessly by the bench and were kind of starting to disperse towards the locker room. And if you remember, the past few years they've had a tradition of getting the team running around the court, high-fiving all the fans and stuff. Brock Miller went, yelled at his team, got him back out there, and had him run it again. So Brock Miller seems to be bringing that back. Hopefully it sticks around for the regular season. I know COVID makes things a little bit weird. I'm not sure if they even did it every game last year. They, they did it every win uh, last year say, with COVID. They, I think they did. Um, it yep. was cool to see Brock Miller go out of his way to make sure his guys are still doing that and just being so engaging with the fans. So just you can see that he's a he's a leader off the court as he is on the court. So honestly, those are the two biggest things for me that were like, okay, this is going to be a fun basketball season. Like we have guys that want to be here. We have guys that want to engage with the fans. And 
the on-court stuff will come. I think we're going to be one of the better teams. But just being able to see Brock Miller, he wants to be involved with the fans. Rylan Jones wants to be here. He chose to be here. Things like that are making me really excited about this team. Parker, those were two excellent observations. I didn't see the Riley Jones thing happened. I heard about the Brock Miller thing, didn't see it. I'm too busy on my computer during the games, you know? Tweet in and write in, and I got to live in the moment a little bit better, huh? But Ryland, we're going to have a feature dropping in the Statesman Sports Winter Preview Magazine, which will drop December 6th against St. Mary's. You can get your free copy. Anyways, Jake Ellis, one of our writers, he has a feature story on Ryland Jones and why he decided to come back, and he's just thrilled. Like, he... Logan is in his blood, the spectrum. Utah State is in his blood, and this is where he belongs. And so to, really to see that, to see him, what you said, smiling, just taking it in, that, that matters, and he's going to be a guy. He's a very – he's a quiet kid, kind of keeps to himself a little bit. So he's not like a Justin Bean where we're going to just see him, like, throwing his arms up and just yeah. totally, like, amping up the crowd. Yeah. But we know just from a couple of moments of what he said, his heart's in it. And he's gonna he's gonna be a warrior, like he he drew two charges like in the exhibition game, right? Like this dude is a warrior. Also to your Brock Miller point, we're gonna hear this this season. Brock Miller, he's gonna go. He's gonna shoot a lot of threes. He's gonna miss more than he makes. Hopefully, of course. Ho- if he makes more than he misses, well then he'll then, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah obviously yeah. <laughs> but no matter what his percentage is, he could help the team. But if every time he misses, the the fact that he's been here so long. And the way he shoots, like, the, when he misses, it just, it looks bad. Like, his misses look like bricks. When he makes it, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves when he hits the shots that he hits compared to when he misses them. So I guarantee this season we're going to hear people drag Brock Miller in the mud. I don't want to hear any of that. We've heard that three years We've heard it three years in a row. Well, and people... I'm sick of it. Yeah. And you first. I, I have words about that as well. Well, even one, his on-court performance there's a reason why he's been a starter his whole career and he brings value to the team even if his shots aren't falling all the time but also to your point his off field his off court presence the fact that he dragged everyone to go high five the students um the fact that he's kind of he's a bridge almost there's kind of on the team there's kind of the there's the married like return missionary utah kids and then there's a ton of like international kids right Mm -hmm. so just two kind of jarring cultural differences I asked Ryan Odom about it actually which is kind of an interesting question to ask a head coach and I thought he was going to blow me off but he's like no like it's true like there are kind of set friend groups on the team potentially but he's like our team does such a great job about serving others and he mentioned Brock Miller specifically as a guy that he didn't use the word bridges the gap but that's what he was trying to say was that bridges the gap he talked about how Brock Miller when they were on the the flight to SMU he was making sure all the big guys got seats like in the front of the plane or something. And so like he he was like Shimon's Apollo was somewhere and Brock was like, no, 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 you gotta be in a better spot and like dragging him over. And you see on Instagram, like he's always like tagging Max Shulga and things and all this. So he's well loved. So he's well loved and he's yeah, he's the glue. He's a he's a captain on this team and in a long basketball season where it's a grind and stuff, you need those guys and that's more important maybe than anything he does on the court beyond all the great stuff that he does on the court. Right. And just speaking of on the court stuff, I don't want to talk about it too much. I don't want to take too much time talking about it because whatever I say, he'll just spend all season proving me right anyway. So why would I talk about it <laughs> for me? But the two things about Brock Miller that people fail to understand 
when they get frustrated with him when his shots aren't falling. Uh, I guess three things. One, shots just don't fall sometimes. The best shooters have cold streaks, and the only thing that gets them out is shooting, continuing to shoot. You you are your averages, right? You are what's on the back of your basketball card. So the law of averages says that when Brock Miller is missing a bunch of shots in a row, or anyone for that matter, the last thing you want to do is have them stop shooting because if they keep shooting, they'll eventually get back to average. So every every time he goes on a cold streak, a hot streak is coming. That's one thing. The other thing is he, even when he's not hitting shots, he's still a good enough three-point shooter that teams have to respect him. You're never going to have a guy leave Brock Miller to double-team somebody else. In the, past, in the past, it's been Sam Merrill. This year, it'll be uh, guys like RJ Adelrock and um, Ryland Jones. You don't want those guys double-teamed at Brock Miller's expense. So when Brock Miller's on the court, they have to respect him. The other side of that is Brock Miller's perimeter defense is so good that even his defensive performance when he's not scoring makes up for it. So those are my those are my three big takeaways that people fail to understand and fail to realize with Brock Miller. I don't want to hear any Brock, Brock Miller. I don't want to hear any Brock Miller slander, and he's going to go ahead and prove me right all season long. So that's all I'm going to say about it right now. If it isn't any more clear, this is a Brock Miller podcast, and for good reason. Everything you just said, I, I, I just remember those San Diego State game la- games last year. Just how hard the team played in those games. The two. Even the one in the, in Vegas, they played hard, and they were just you know just on fumes at that point. Yep. But the ones here, we didn't play. Utah State did not play great in those games. Um, they played better in the first one than the second one. But I just remember Brock Miller just chasing around Jordan Shackle, yep. and just like harassing one of the best players. Uh, the Aztecs before. were just setting screen after screen to try to get Shackle open, and Brock was just like stink on poo just like all over him like just busting his butt and it was really effective and he limited him and San Diego State only scored like 50 points in that game and Utah State won right and so yeah these are things that a a fan that just observes the ball right just observes people shooting and stuff you're gonna be like ah man Brock Miller like that's another brick but that it's it's a very it's a very shallow take on what he brings to the team. There's more to basketball than just what the ball does. Yep. And I think Brock Miller's a great point, uh, a great example of that. And that being said, he is a great shooter. Like, it's not like he's someone who is always cold or anything. I, I'm afraid that we made it sound like that. But, I mean, there will be times when he's he, when he's hitting shots and no one will complain. But it does seem like Brock Miller gets to um, – pe- people are pretty hard on Brock Miller when he's missing shots. So that's, that's why that um, is relevant. Um, let's talk about the Utah State season because I – I want to get your take on something, Jacob. I know we disagree uh, slightly on the importance of a regular season title versus a tournament title. Um, I think they're both important. I think the disagreement, I'll fill everybody in, is basically that uh, Jacob puts more emphasis on a regular season title, thinks they're more important. I kind of think a tournament title is more important just because it gets us that automatic bid. Uh, but I have some interesting things to, to throw at you, Jacob, I want to get your, um, get your take on. Um, but I... I my first question is, how much do you think being the one seed or being the one or two seed in the conference matters in terms of getting, you know, getting to the tournament and winning that tournament? Um, and how do we get there? So how much do you think that matters, winning the regular season title, getting the one seed? Like, how much do you think that matters? Oh, I mean, it matters a ton, and it should be a goal. A goal. Obviously, the goal is the conference, and to do that, um, you go through the process of – beating teams step by step. Ken Palm has Utah State pretty much 
predicted their winnings. They haven't go. Ken Palm has Utah State going 18 and 11 and 11 and 7 in conference. It's crucial and to my point why I think the regular season in the Mountain West matters more is we aren't a one big a one bid league and the regular season if you can win that title that's indicative of your performance of all of conference play which is really remarkable it's I think that that's more rewarding than striking fire in the the last three games of the season right to your point it, that's it's burned Utah State before specifically when they were in the whack of they dominated the regular season per se the JC Carroll years when they were winning these these titles and then they just slip up in the tournament and then all of a sudden their season's over. Thankfully that doesn't happen in the Mountain West. You wrote a, a big story about that in the spring actually about the benefits of the Mountain West. But I, I think that means if you can go and win the regular season title and the round robin of playing everybody twice and win that, that just that shows you're the best team. Um, so I have I have a number for you that illustrates your point. So I have um, I'm working on a piece right now, um, and when it comes to basketball, I just look at numbers and stuff all the time. Um, and so I I've been looking, and there's been 22 instances when the regular season champions or the outright regular season champions, so someone that shared a, uh, a share of the title or outright won the regular season, did not win the conference tournament. So that's happened 22 times. And in these instances, 17 times an at-large bid was offered to that person. So basically, in the in the 22 times where a conference champion did not earn the automatic bid, they earned an at-large bid 17 times. In the Mountain West. In the Mountain West, in, in our conference alone, which means basically 8 times out of 10, if you can win the Mountain West championship, or the Mountain West regular season championship, it doesn't matter if you win that championship game. So I looked at that, and I was actually impressed. I thought, I knew it would be high, but that's effectively an automatic bid winning the regular season championship. And I think that number would be even higher if I looked at if I looked a little bit closer and found out how many of those teams played in the championship game. Like I think if you win the regular season championship and play in the tournament championship game, you're probably in. That's basically an automatic bid in this conference. So I really I, I think you're right in that instance, Jacob. You have to have a winning record outside of the conference. You can't lose a lot of home games. You can't get swept by anybody, and you probably have to sweep everybody below you, uh, or, or just about everybody below you. And can Utah State do that? And that that's a huge question mark to me, because there's a lot of teams that are going to be really good, and a lot of teams that, like Boise, I don't know how good they're going to be, but they're not going to be bad. Uh, Fresno, I don't know how good they're going to be, but they're not going to be bad. You have to find a way to probably sweep one of those two and split the other if you want to win the champion, if you want to win the regular season championship. You, know, you, you have to have a strong strong winning record to win it's true yeah and no it's going to require um winning winning some of those road games in the mountain west obviously and i'm looking at this ken palm schedule right now and um the way that he ranks his a and b tier teams is a little bit different than the net 100 but it's still very indicative of quality teams and there are a lot of a's and b's on the schedule in the non-conference but focusing on conference play for now because that was kind of where you were leading, um, there are four A games, which would pretty much be quad one games. And it's on the road against Colorado State. It's on the road against Nevada, on the road against San Diego State, and on the road against Boise State. So those are all quad. None of those are a surprise. Those are all, those are games that we had circled on the schedule anyways as probably the toughest. Exactly. Yeah. And so the fact that 
how the interesting thing about college basketball, and it's not like this any, in any other sport, is how important it, it matters where the game's played. And so winning those road games in the conference can go a very, very long ways. Obviously, in the trying to win the conference, you ha- you have to win. If you lose to everybody on the road or to a lot of teams, you're just you're not going to win the conference. But also, in the at-large picture, you get those games. A win over Boise State in Boise is an A win. A win over Boise State at home, I can't find it. A win over Boise State at home right now, it it it's not even a B right now because they're 80, and it, for Ken Palm, it's a 75. So it's different than the net. In the net, it would be a B-tier win, but that's, that's a big difference. A's and B's yeah. are huge. That is true. A's and B's are very, very different, um, as most college students know. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm glad you did bring up the kind of the at-large aspect of it, too, because that's kind of my next question. It's something I want to do. It's something I want to look into is what does Utah State have to do to end this drought of not winning a game in the NCAA tournament? Because I think the, you know, getting there is only half the battle. I think we have a good shot of getting there. I think the Mountain West has a good chance of being a three or a four bid league. It's done it before. Uh, we've had five bids before in this league. So I think we could have, we could be up to a three or four bid league. I think the chance of Utah State getting in is, is there. But we've got to start winning games once we get there. And part of that, um, and I, I want to get your take on this as well, is seeding in the NCAA tournament. How much does that matter? To me, I think it matters a ton. I think seeding in the tournament, the NCAA tournament, matters more than it does in the conference tournament. In fact, the conference tournament, the two seed wins more often than the one seed. The one seed's only won five times. The two seed has won it eight times. We've had a six seed win the Mountain West tournament. So I think seeding matters a lot more, especially for a Utah State team whose goal is maybe not necessarily to win the whole thing, but to win a couple of games, get to the Sweet 16, something like that. I don't, I don't think that is just such a tough ask when you're the lower seed. Utah State's only been the higher seed a few times in history once recently. Uh, we lost that game to Washington. It was an 8-9 matchup anyway. Um, so what do you think what do you think the effect of seeding is and what do you think we have to do to make sure that happens while avoiding injuries and getting fatigued and burnt out and stuff like that? Well, it's it's such a massive part of it and I pulled up um, all of Utah State's tournament appearances since 2001 when they defeated Ohio State. When they beat Ohio State, when they, beat Ohio State they were 12 seed, so they yep. pulled off the upset. It's possible, right? It's I, certainly I'm, possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. Yeah, but after that, they were 2003. They were a 15 seed, which shows the big the Big West Conference. You win the Big West Conference, then they put you as a 15 seed. Like they, they had to get out of there, get in the whack, and so they go 15. 2005, they make it as a 14th seed. 2006, they're a 12 seed. 2009, they are an 11 seed. 2010, they're a 12 seed. 2011, they were a 12 seed. That was a debacle. 2011, Utah State being a 12 seed. It was such a disgrace. That was such a disgrace. And that, to your point of leaving the Big West, that's why we need to get out of the West. Yeah. Because we were a top 25 team at the time, we were a 12 seed. Yep. It was a complete joke. 2019, first time they make it in the Mountain West, they're an 8 seed. Right, and they the, for the first time they deserved that by the way forever they 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 deserved it and they they were favored but it's still an eight and nine matchup which is it's a, it's a coin about, flip about a dead draw yeah yeah and then obviously 2021 they were an 11 seed against the six seeded Texas Tech Red Raiders so they should have been a three seed by the way <laughs> Texas Tech was really good they 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 were they almost 
they almost defeated Arkansas. That was a crazy game. Arkansas ended up going to the Elite Eight. And, yeah, so that was such a tough draw. Yeah, I, I digress, but, yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, so, obviously, it's frustrating to see because you watch the tournament every year, and there's always so many upsets, right? There's always 11, 12 seeds that beat 5 and 6 seeds or whatever. And so it's like, why can't Utah State just be that? But if we're just looking matchup by matchup, they are all really, really difficult matchups, and there's much better chances of winning a tournament game if you just, to your point, get a better seed. And there's opportunities this year in the non-conference and in the conference where if they win enough of these games, I this is coming from somebody that I don't actually think they're going to make the tournament this year. I know you do. But there's opportunities to not just squeak in, but also be a 6th, 7th, or 8th seed, and that dramatically increases their chances of getting in. Right. And just to kind of illustrate my point and like what, what I mean by when I say seeding matters, when you're the higher seed, you're not only against a team that's you're, that you're favored against, you're a, against a team that you should just beat outside of being favored. And what I mean by that is um, San Diego State, for example. So what you, So San Diego State last year, what you're trying to avoid is going up against a team like Syracuse. Um, and when you're a higher seed, you have a higher chance of doing that. Now, San Diego State kind of got in a tough situation because they were the higher seed still playing against the Syracuse team. But what you're up against at that point in the season, what you want to avoid is playing a team like Syracuse, playing a team like San Diego State, who was a sixth, playing a team with better facilities, better teams, uh, guys that are just bigger and faster and stronger. Because at this point in the season, you've played 40 basketball games, and you're just going to be you're going to be tired. There's so many things in at play here. So what you'd rather be is so you want to go in against teams that play in high school gyms. You want to be you want to earn that opportunity to play against a team in the Big West now or in the WAC now that works out in a high school gym and plays basketball in in a gym with no fans. You want to play somebody who is not in the tournament year after year after year. So and you have to earn that. You don't get that just by being a a, a high seed. Like we 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 saw that with San Diego State. They earned a six seed and got stuck playing against Syracuse who Syracuse as an 11 is ridiculous because they're way better than that, and they're a team that has experience, they have coaching, they have the facilities that they're not going to lose in the first round to a team like San Diego State. So seeding matters. You want the high seed, but you also don't want to burn yourself out getting there. And I think that's the balance that we haven't been able to strike. There's been times where we're the 12 seed and maybe we're the well-rested team going up against a behemoth, you know. Uh, a basketball blue blood. So it's just such a tough balance to strike. And I think there's coaching that goes into that as well. And Coach Odom's been there. Uh, he knows how to win big games. He knows how to win tournament games. Um, so hopefully I think he can navigate that a little bit better. He knows how to not only get there but win. And that was a big that was a big talking point during the hiring process with John Hartwell. He wants somebody that can win. We This drought has to end. And I'm just wondering your inputs, Jake, on like what what do we need for this job to end? Is it seating? Is it facilities? Is it coaching? Is it something else? Uh, is it everything all at once? Well, it's talent. Um, the one theme in the games that they've lost is the team they've gone up against is more talented, and that has to do with the seating, obviously. Right. But to become a higher seed, you need to be a more talented basketball team. 
and they, there's opportunities there. They've had the talent, they've had the op- the chances with Nimi and Sam. Like you just drafted back to back NBA players, so there is talent top to bottom that needs to improve. And that the talent improved under Craig Smith, and it hopefully will continue under Ryan Odom. But that's that's the biggest thing. I think facilities and stuff and program support and coaching, like all of that. I think Utah State checks those boxes as a a major mid-major, I'm, if no, that makes absolutely. sense. Sure. I, I mean, like, when we're going up against somebody, UCLA, yeah. for example, that's... You know, we, gotcha. We, we just don't have the facilities. We There's just no way for our athletes to be in shape the way UCLA's athletes are because they have the money, they have the facilities, they have the dietitians to just give their bodies more than we can give them. Yeah, I, there's certainly something to that, but I think the bigger thing there is the dudes that UCLA has more than Utah State. Um, One thing I want to mention is in these NCAA tournament games, like the frustrating thing is how many of them, even though there's been, if it's a talent mismatch or just because we're playing a better seed, there have been so many close games. Like they lost 2009, they lost to Marquette. I believe it was 58-57, one-point loss. 2011, you play a five-seeded Kansas State, and you lose 73 to 68. Like, just so many of these games have, the Texas Tech one wasn't very close, but so many of them have been close. So it's like all those mismatches and everything, it's like, wow, man, if the ball just bounced a different way, then we wouldn't even be having this conversation as much. We still would because it would still be Kansas State. That was 2011. Like, that's still a 10 year drought. drought, Yeah, but. 10 years instead of 20 years. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think it's, it's a talent thing most importantly and just improve talent that's something that to Craig Smith's credit the talent was improved and Eric Peterson pulled Keta and you need to have you need to have guys like that and this year there is a little bit more depth I don't know if there's more athleticism that's that's why I'm so excited about yeah that's why I'm so excited about RJ Edelrock because I think he lifts the level of athleticism um and I think Justin Bean has actually gotten more athletic. I like he's scrappy Is it and. That he's four inches taller than he was. Last <laughs> he he does look a lot smarter. He looks a lot stronger he too. Like he's been stronger. going to war in the gym. So yeah. yeah. So that's that's the biggest thing. Is it's it, it's talent, it's, but then it's talent. It, well, it's you gotta I mean, it's, you got to once you get there, you gotta put yourself in the best position to win the game, and that's to be a higher seed. Yeah, and, and the better teams tend to win. We talk about it with football, and you know we're fond of saying on the show that the better team tends to win games, which is easy to see when we're 6-2 in football, harder to admit when we haven't won a tournament game in, in quite some time. And the thing that just makes me wonder if it's something more institutionally uh, or something more institutional is just the fact that this drought has spanned across countless teams, uh, three different coaches. We're now on our fourth. Um, who hasn't had a chance to hasn't had a chance to win a tournament game, but obviously hasn't. Um, it's been so long. It's yeah. I mean, it, it is a talent thing, but we've had talented players. It's it's a coaching thing, but we've had good coaches. So I think I think to your I, I, I agree that it's obviously talent. Better team wins, but I think there's also just something else going on. I think it's everything all at once. I think it's more. There's so many factors at play. I think it's experience. I think it's um, fatigue, I think it's talent, it's coaching, but it's just frustrating when we have this drought that's been going on for so long when we have teams, particularly that 8C team that 
probably was the more talented team. There was two NBA two, two NBA players on that roster, uh, so we, when we still can't pull that off, um, I, I think there's something to look at there and something that hopefully hopefully Ryan Odom has the recipe to change that up. I think the one thing, and you mentioned this, I, I don't think it's institutional. I mean, they've made the tournament 10 times in the past 21 years, so that's tremendous success. I think that it it's such a grind, and the conference championship is held at such a high importance rate because in some instances they've needed that to get in, but in others it just seems like that's the pinnacle of the season, and it's the battle is to win the conference championship game. And so I think, especially in 2019, when they had just that breakout year, and then they finally they beat San Diego State in that game and go to the tournament, I don't know if they were f- prepared enough because that wasn't really – like, obviously, it was the goal. If you asked them, like, yeah, we want to make the tournament. But they were they, they were so excited to win the Mount West Conference yeah. that it was almost like icing on the cake. And you can't walk into the tournament thinking, this is icing on the cake. Yeah, You're going to get eaten up. Yeah, you got to go in hungry. And I think that they I think that they actually responded better in 2021. I think that I honestly believe that the team did have a better mentality, but they they had just exerted everything. And also, yeah, they didn't have they didn't have an offense. They, they didn't have Sam Merrill. And last year, last year's team might have overachieved because Keta was so good and they played so hard defensively and with the rebounding. They may have over overachieved in certain regards because the offense was abysmal but right yeah yeah i think yeah and when i when i say it's institutionally i don't mean that as a negative thing i just think you know there there's just a trend that we that we've seen that has spanned through talent through coaches through other things Mm. um and i I think to your point i think the respect that we get on national level has something to do with it i think we've been underseeded quite a few times i think we should have been a higher seed uh, if you ask me, I think we should have been a slightly higher seed almost every single year, but I think that's something to do with it too. So I think it is a combination of just so many different things at play. And hopefully we can get that sorted out and hopefully we can move on. Um, not that winning the tournament isn't not that not that winning the Mountain West tournament isn't an accomplishment of itself. Getting there is an accomplishment. I mean there's not that many teams that get to say they go to the tournament year in, year out. There's not very there's not very many mid major teams like us that get to say playing in the NCAA tournament is the standard and we I think we get to say that at this point um, we've been able to say that more or less since Stu Morrill was the coach here even before with uh, coach Larry Eustacey there was uh, a lot of tournament runs so I think Utah State the, the success is obviously the standard um, and w- that's something we'll talk about especially once football kind of wraps up once we get done with our bowl games and things there we will we'll talk a lot about that and we'll you know talk about what it's going to take not only to get there but to win a game in the tournament because I do think that is a focus of the program now that we've we've been there so many times three times um in the past three years had there been a tournament in 2020 I would have been three times in three years so I think that is the focus of the program moving forward I will say that 2020 team wins in the NCAA tournament I I mean Keta he was injured early that season they still beat Florida and LSU without him and those were two tier A wins that got them in, but they were just trending up. San Diego State, San Diego State had one loss. They were going to be a one seed, and then Utah State beats them. We beat the fifth best team in the. And then Sam Merrill, in that post game press conference with Evan Washburn, do you know what he said? He said we haven't won in the Mountain West or in the NCAA tournament since 2001 against Ohio State. This is after he hits the biggest shot 
in arguably Utah State history. Not looking back. And he's thinking he just pulls out a stat and is like, we have to win because we haven't done it in 20 years. Like, he just knew that right off the bat. There was no doubt in my mind that that team would have won a game. I really do believe that, and I'll probably take that in my grave, but it, it doesn't matter, right? It, it never happened. And it so, happen. yeah. so, but but the natural, the next natural progression, the next natural step is to win a game. We've been there consistently now. Next step is to win a game. I think we can do it um, in the next couple of years. I do think that's going to become um, a reality. Um, so that's, that's basketball. That's, um, well, I don't think we have anything else. All right, big shout out to Jacob Nielsen for that conversation. I think we both had a great time on that. If we seemed a little bit rushed as we kind of got towards the end of that conversation, it's because we kind of were a little bit rushed. As I've mentioned before, we had originally intended for both this this show and yesterday's show to be one. And so by the time we got to that point in recording, we were kind of checking our watch, realizing that we had gone kind of way over time. So we were a little bit rushed. So um but we, we just had so much basketball content that we didn't want to cut out. So that's when we decided to to pull it into two um, to two shows. Um, I do have a couple corrections and then a few more notes on what Jacob and I talked about in the conversation that we had. The first thing I want to go over is a correction to a mistake that I made. I talked about how winning the Mountain West regular season championship is basically like winning an at-large bid. And I said something like 17 out of like 22 instances or something like that. Um, that number was actually wrong. So the number that is correct, and it's even more impressive, and it's and it's the same principle, but it's just an even more impressive number. Um, and so here it is. In 18 instances where the regular season champion or a team that took a share of the regular season championship did not win the tournament, therefore earning an automatic bid, that team has earned an at-large bid 17 out of 18 times. So in 18 instances, there has been the regular season champion that did not earn an automatic bid because they were beat in the tournament 17 out of 18 times rather than whatever number I said in the middle of the show. 17 out of 18 times, that team still gets a bid. So that's even more impressive. And so that's closer. I, I said that's basically eight times out of 10. That's basically nine times out of 10. That That's essentially an automatic bid. So if, if a team can win the Mountain West in the regular season, they're almost guaranteed a spot in the tournament. And Jacob and I talked about the path to get there. We talked about getting that one seed, which the seed itself isn't the important part. The important part is being first in the conference at the end of the season. It's winning the, the conference, either sharing the title or winning the title outright. And so that path to the one seed or the two seed occasionally, if you remember, Utah State's actually had that where we have we have a regular season title to our name or at least a share of it, um, but we've never finished first and we've never played as the one seed in the tournament. Um, so Utah State fans kind of probably are familiar with that sort of situation. But in order to win a title in the Mountain West, a regular season title, the the average numbers that I have right here, and I went back um, pretty much as far as we could go, and the average one seed in the Mountain West tournament, the average Mountain West regular season champion, has an out-of-conference win percentage of 771. So they win 7 out of 10 games. So if you're going to win the conference, you have to be north of 700 out-of-conference, and in conference is even more impressive. It's even more difficult. On average, the number one seed in the Mountain West is about 846. So to win the conference title in the regular season, 
Utah State or any team in the Mountain West would have to win 7 out of 10 games at a conference and then at least 8 out of 10 in conference, which is extremely difficult. And with the schedule we have this year, looking at the non-conference and the conference schedule, the conference schedule doesn't change that much year on year. There's 10 other teams in the conference. We played them each twice. Uh, last year was a little bit different because we would play them in a series. We played two at home, two away um, at the same time, kind of like baseball. Um, but for the most part, it doesn't really change. There's 10 other teams. We played them all twice. Uh, home and home, generally. The out-of-conference changes quite a bit year in, year out. There's not even like a set standard of how many games you play in college basketball. There's kind of a range that people play. This year we have six, not including the Myrtle Beach Invitational. That Invitational is three games. So with the Myrtle Beach Invitational, we have nine games, nine out-of-conference games. And so to go 700, we'd have to win 6.3 out of nine. So basically seven out of nine games. Our out-of-conference schedule, not in the Myrtle Beach Invitational, is St. Mary's, Weber State, BYU, Iowa, New Orleans, Portland State. And then in the Myrtle Beach Invitational, Utah State plays Penn in the first round. And if we win that game, we play the winner of Davidson and New Mexico State. If we win that, we go on to play the winner of the other side of the tournament, which includes Oklahoma, ECU, Old Dominion, Indiana State. And so win or lose those games, you still have three games. So out of, out of, these, out of these matchups, we have Penn, and then we have Davidson, New Mexico State, OU, East Carolina, Indiana State, Old Dominion. We'll have three games there. And then we have the six out-of-conference schedule games that we already talked about. And so we have to win seven of those. And so looking at the schedule, you're going to have to win some tough games out of the, out of the schedule, out of conference. Basically, we can only lose two games out of conference. And so with teams like BYU, Oklahoma, St. Mary's, we have to find a way to only lose two of those games. And if we only lose one, you know, if we, if we, the, the more games we win, the better. But we have to find a way to win the Myrtle Beach Invitational, sweep that, and then only lose two games. We, we have to find a way to only lose two games in, in, in our out-of-conference schedule. Within the conference is possibly even the harder part because we have to, according to the averages that I've, that I've compiled from Mountain West historical data, we'd have to win, have a, have a win percentage of 846. So... We have to win 17 games in the conference. So we can only lose three games. So with this year being back to normal in the conference schedule, meaning we're traveling to New Mexico State, to UNLV, to San Diego State, to Boise State, to Colorado State, um, to Fresno State, we have everyone in the conference we play on the road and at home. You basically have to go undefeated at home, and then you can only lose three games either to San Diego State on the road, Boise State on the road. Nevada on the road, Colorado State on the road. There's a lot of tough teams and a lot of tough venues in the conference, and you can only lose three. If you drop a game at home, it gets even harder because then you have to find a way to go out and beat another tough team on the road. And so you have to sweep the bottom half of the conference. So you have to sweep Air Force. You have to sweep San Jose State. Uh, you have to sweep UNLV, and you have to sweep New Mexico if those two teams don't kind of have a reawakening to their, their powers that they've had in the past. You have to probably sweep fresno because because if you sweep fresno you kind of buy a loss and if you only get three they're probably going to come to top of the conference teams like san diego state colorado state and nevada and so you have to find a way to sweep really really good teams in the mountain west and that means winning on the road in this in this year where we're back to normal so that's what kind of what we have to do to get that one seed or more importantly uh, win the regular season championship. 
um, because if we do that, like we've talked about, that's basically an automatic bid. And not only an automatic bid, it's it's more impressive than winning the tournament. If we can win both, that's great. That doesn't happen very often in the Mountain West. It's only happened three times. San Diego State did it in 05, 06. New Mexico did it in 2012, 2013. And then Nevada did it in 2016, 17. Uh, it's not very often. Oh, San Diego State actually did it again in 2020, 2021. So it's happened four times. It doesn't happen very often. And and so you got to go out there and win. And and that, that's kind of the path to that regular season championship. And and like we've talked about, Jacob and I have talked about it. it it's a multi-bid league. So if the goal is to play in the NCAA tournament, there's different ways to do that. And that's kind of uh, what we went over there today with in terms of winning the regular season championship or winning the tournament championship. Um, those are the two surest ways to get there and make sure you're, you're off the bubble come Selection Sunday. So that's all we have for you today. We will be, we'll be talking basketball a lot this year. And I really, I really have uh, high hopes for this basketball team. I think they're going to be really good. So, uh, thanks for thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the bonus episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was all right. Hope the audio wasn't too uh, too shaky or or anything like that. I know it was kind of cutting out and things like that, but uh, hopefully the audio was good enough for you guys. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Go ahead and uh, share us with a friend uh, because there's nothing worse than having a friend that doesn't appreciate Brock Miller. That's all I have for you today. Go Aggies and thanks again.